Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. I hope you're well and I hope you're still listening even after you've seen the title. I hope that you know that this episode is incredibly inclusive to lots of different people, even if it might not seem so at first. We are interviewing Ruby Warrington this week, who is a British-born author, editor, podcaster and the founder of Numinous Books. And she has a new book out called Women Without Kids, The Revolutionary Rise of an Unsung Sisterhood. And it's very, very good. And she's very, very cool. However, we are in this conversation and she in this book, we're not just talking about people who don't want to have children or people who can't have children um, or people who feel too traumatized by their childhoods to have children or people who aren't financially ready or they don't have the health. Um, I personally don't want to have children. I've been very open about that. And that's purely because I just don't want to. There's no other reason. I don't want to. I don't want to be a parent. I don't have that instinct in me. It doesn't resonate with me at all. Uh, I like to help uh, other people in different ways and and use my kind of natural um, caring instincts in that way. Um, but we really get into not just the importance of acknowledging that not everyone is built to be a parent or should be a parent, but this is very much so a fight for those people who are and for those people who want to. This is a fight against the idea that women are just predisposed to this one sole purpose of a miracle maternal nature and and to be these perfect idealistic mothers. Um, it's fucking ridiculous and it's harmful, especially to people who want children, because then they feel like they have to live up to these ridiculous, unrealistic expectations of of what kind of a perfect parent they're supposed to be. And I literally don't know anyone who doesn't fall short of that. It's too much pressure. It's not real. It's a fantasy. And it's not fair on people uh, who have to work really, really, really fucking hard and, and make mistakes and grow and learn from them at speed in order to be the best parents they can be. It's not fair for that to just be kind of taken for granted as well. That's your duty and that just comes naturally to you. It fucking doesn't for a lot of people. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be bad parents. It just means that not all of us have the skills or not all of us are completely ready or not all of us had access to the things that would make us ready. So we do the fucking best that we can. But don't call it this sort of predisposed supernatural gift it's hard work not everyone is cut out for that hard work I sure as shit am not and so it's a very much so a conversation about everyone it's a conversation for women it's a conversation about our time about our value and about the expectations that are put upon us regardless of what we choose to do with our own bodies and our lives and so I hope you enjoy this chat I really enjoyed it and I feel like it was just like a passionate sisterhood cry and and 
plea for women to be given a fucking break, regardless of the decisions they make about their futures. And I think Ruby is such a special writer and a special voice. And it was just an incredibly candid chat. And so I hope you love it. This is the excellent Ruby Warrington. Follow her by her books. Ruby Warrington, welcome to iWay. How are you? I'm not doing bad. It's really nice to be here. I'm very oh. excited to talk to you. <laughs> likewise, likewise. I feel like you're uh, my sister from another mister. Uh, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to have stumbled across your work. And, and I think it's, um, while the conversation around people who don't want children is growing, uh, I feel as though you're unique perspective was one that is very needed and so before we get into all of that uh mm. I was just wondering if you could tell me why you wrote Women Without Kids and what that book is what it's supposed to represent yeah I mean there are two sort of very distinct entry points for me into mm. this subject and this subject now meaning at this time in my life but also at this time kind of in the collective. Mm -hmm. um, all of my work has always been, well, in terms of my book, it's always come from a very personal place, not necessarily of like, this is the book that I needed, but this is a subject that I am ready to dive into really mm -hmm. deeply. And if I can get a book deal, that kind of like pays me to do all the research I want to do, <laughs> you know? So um, with this book, it was um, on reaching my kind of early into almost mid forties and starting to look ahead to menopause, realizing that as somebody who'd always not wanted to be a mother and always been told that I would likely regret that, mm -hmm. that it would feel like there was something missing, particularly as I got older, mm -hmm. looking ahead to menopause and actually really reckoning for the first time with the with my biological clock kind of stopping ticking, I realized I felt zero regret there was absolutely nothing missing in my life. I felt incredibly fulfilled and incredibly grateful to have been able to pursue so many things other than motherhood that have been deeply fulfilling to me. And I realized that having spent my 20s and 30s really questioning my own sort of inner knowing around this subject and being questioned by people directly, um, mm. but also just by society at large, you know, why don't you want to be a mum? Why don't you want to do this yeah, thing what's which wrong is with you? fundamental to being a woman? People didn't necessarily, weren't bold enough to say to me, what's wrong with you? It was implied, but I asked uh, it I'm myself. South Asian, so, you know, right, it's okay. different. So Family members are different. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway, it was a revelation to sort of be reaching, yeah, the end of my reproductive years and to say, well, you know what? I was right all along. I'm not unfulfilled. I don't regret it. This was exactly the right path for me. And I think that also everybody else kind of stopping asking. I think beyond after my, after I turned 40, the, the external noise really died down. People just kind of got bored of asking, I suppose, and were just happy to let me do my own sort of weird thing. Um, but everybody else's voices ebbing away gave me clarity, the clarity that I needed to really start to dial into my own feelings about this, you know? And so that mm -hmm. was my my personal perspective. Within that realization, I sort of wanted to offer something back to to younger women who were maybe 
engaged in that inner questioning or getting that external questioning. Mm. But then from my sort of journalistic perspective, I kind of zoomed out and looked at the fact that, well, the birth rate is declining steadily and steeply all around the world. You know, in every country in the world, the number of children that women are having is decreasing. Um, And so I think there's a lot of scaremongering around that. Well, we oscillate, don't we, between like different scaremongering. Well, too many like, people you know, not enough people. Yeah, exactly. I remember there being a time where we felt like we were overpopulated and there weren't enough resources. In fact, I mean, well, there the, that's still a big resources. part of the. That's still a big part of the environmental question. But then, yeah. if you turn to like pol- politicians and economists and demographers, will say we have a. Po- we, we have a looming population. Collapse. Yeah, because who are we going to put in the jail to survive? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we can totally get into it. I'm feeling quite fired up about that because there's a documentary coming out that gives a very kind of like scaremongering, patriarchal kind of take on the, the falling birth rate. Anyway, I I was looking at this and thinking, well, you see all these graphs with this big, I'm doing this on the screen, like with this plummeting birth rate. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that graph is mapping millions and millions and millions of women's individual, very personal often very fraught decisions mm-hmm. about whether to have children, how many children to have, at what point in their lives to have children. And I'm like, why are we not talking about this? Why are we not talking about this in a way that goes beyond the really kind of surface, just sort of um, very prejudiced, very cliche sort of ways of talking about it. I just felt it was really time for not only me, but us collectively to really get under the skin of what's happening with yeah, women, and- without kids. And it feels like, because I, I, look, there's this kind of growing thing that's happening on TikTok at the moment and Instagram reels, uh, where we're seeing people who've decided not to have children sort of gleefully mocking those who do. And I've always been someone who's like, I don't want children. I don't like children. I, you know, I, I know where I stand. I plan on being selfish until I die. And when I'm old, I'd like a, like a trained nurse to insert my catheter rather than someone that I brought into the world who probably did about as well at school as I did. Um, so I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm definitely someone who feels like very staunch about my decision. And I understand this like kind of like underlying defensiveness and people who don't want children because we are like bombarded with questions and prodding and shaming and, and fear mongering about regret. Um, but I don't love twisting that around to, oh, I get up at 10 a.m. and then I have wine. And then I have that, like, I've just seen about a hundred of these videos mm. in the last, like, few mm-hmm. weeks. I think because I've clicked on one, I've just, like, I've entered, like, fuck parents TikTok. Um, and I don't think that's cool. And I don't no. think that's your angle. It's not my angle at all. It's like, no, 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 I'm just making personal I'm not mocking your choice. Your choice is fucking amazing for you. Um, but this growing, like, spitefulness is just... Is not is not how to have the conversation in a helpful way. It's just not cool. It's not cool, and it's not kind, and it's massively disrespectful to it's, parents who yeah who are, are struggling a and by the way doing a really having a really hard time. Yeah, and also like who didn't plan on shit being this hard, right? Right. They didn't. Yes. No one signed up for how hard this has now become. Exactly. Like if we look at reasons that people are deciding to have children is declining. Of course, a massive part of that is a growing independence of women, is women not wanting to be tied down, is women wanting to pursue their own choices or have agency over their time or their bodies or their freedom. But also it's because having a child is fucking unaffordable. 
now for a lot of people. Like school is unaffordable. Formula is unavailable at times. Fucking baby formula is unavailable at times. Mm. Like th- there are, are safety concerns for people depending on where they live in the world. Like there are people who aren't very well. There's shit in our food that is fucking with women's hormones. Like there are a multitude of reasons. And for the only response from those who wish for us to repopulate the earth to be like, well, we've just got to trap them into pregnancy and force them to um, have babies. And if they want to get abortions, if we catch them having an abortion or if we think they had an abortion or aided their miscarriage, we're going to give them the death penalty, uh, which is being introduced in certain states in America. They're trying to get that passed currently to terrify women into Mm. maintaining pregnancies because in their head, then women will have to stay with their partner and then we'll bring back the like all American families. Not just America, by the way, it's like a rise in fascism growing all over Europe as well um, and mm. many countries in the world. But um, rather than just going, hmm, what what are we as politicians fucking up in our society that potentially could be putting off parents, people who would actually quite like to be parents, who would like to experience that, who do want to have that as part of their journey. Mm-hmm. We, we, we aren't doing anything in America to Nothing. support people. There's no fucking childcare. Like you and I are English, we've moved over here. It's a fucking shock. Like the mortality rate is terrifying. So it's just like, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of people don't feel totally um, equipped. And like, you're very lucky and privileged if you're able to make that work. But a lot of people aren't. And our, our politicians should be fixing the society that makes it easier and more appealing to have children if people want to, and then leave the fucking rest of us alone. But we don't have to turn this into a war of otherhood versus motherhood. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I went off on a rant. No, totally. That was a fantastic rant. (laughs) And I hope that that you're feeling inspired after reading my book (laughs) to to rant like that, because that's all the stuff I get into. Yeah. Um, exactly. And, and and I feel as though your book is is as much for mothers as it is for people who don't want to be mothers, right? You talk about these misconceptions of how naturally mother all motherhood is supposed to come to all mothers. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I, I think that's really beautiful and important. It makes a lot of women who I know are having babies right now feel way less gaslit. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Gaslighting, that thing. Motherhood is every woman's biological imperative and therefore will come naturally to her. It's just so damaging because motherhood under patriarchy and under some of the the, um, the conditions that you just sort of described is actually it's very challenging. And so even the, even somebody with the most, with the strongest sign of natural maternal instinct, which is not necessarily, by the way, only applicable to women, some people, regardless of their mm-hmm. biological sex or gender, just have a, a, a different capacity for caregiving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of down to personality and, and all sorts um, of other how they were raised. Too. Yeah, yeah. How they were raised, exactly. The kind of things they value, what lights them up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yes, that what you're sort of getting into is what I call the mommy binary, which has been this very binary idea where we've had kind of mothers are natural, are fulfilling their rightful duty or um, are fulfilling themselves on a sort of a, a deeply sort of spiritual level almost. And then women who don't have kids are unnatural, deluded, selfish, immature, etc. And so I can see how that having been the, the sort of rhetoric around it for so long, that instinct to kind of like push back and sort of um, 
make out that, you know, choosing not to choosing not to have children is this very empowered sort of fabulous lifestyle choice. I can sort of see where that instinct comes from, but it's always really turned me off. And I've just always found it really like distasteful. It's just kind of like, well, it's yeah, very harmful. Actually, and this is, it's very harmful in all kinds of ways. You know, yeah. it's also suggesting that I mean, I, I state quite clearly at the beginning of the book, this is not a book about how to have a fabulous child-free life. First and foremost, I'm not by any means trying to set out that having not having children is preferable to having children. Mm-hmm. I'm just sort of trying to say that this is as valid, it's a different and as equally valid path as motherhood, if it's what is right for you. And the reason it's right for you could be down to all sorts of different factors. Um, and then beyond that, I think that I was kind of, I, I, I put in a note to one of my editors during the writing process, you know, having a fabulous life is not about lions and trips abroad and five-star hotels and, sho- and shoes, right? No. Having a fabulous, it's only possible to have a fabulous life when you've really been prepared to sort of do the work, all the stuff that makes you feel like shit. <laughs> and in the realm of mothering and motherhood, that shit can get really, really heavy. Like once something I really did identify when I started to really feel into what had always been my, what I term affirmative no about having kids was just that I had a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of family dysfunction that I lived through and carry in my body and just didn't want to repeat. Like my experience of family was not this sort of warm, cozy, kind of fuzzy, sentimental thing. Family has always been quite fraught for me. Like Mm. my parents are very, very loving, but they were quite challenged in their parenting for a multitude of different reasons. Um, I had sort of experiences during my teens that they weren't really able to help me with that were very damaging to me and all of which I go into in the book. But one of my reasons for not having kids is the pain of that family dysfunction and not having ever really experienced family as something that I wanted to recreate for myself. So yes, I have tons more freedom. I have more money. I'm able to invest a lot of in my you know personal interests, all those fabulous things that come with being child-free. But the reason I'm child-free is actually not that fabulous at all. you know. And I think that that's mm. the case for a lot of people. A lot of people are choosing not to have kids from a place of pain, from a place of self-preservation in many ways. You know? Yeah. I mean, for me, and I want to get back to mothers, right, for a second, but like, yes. but, but Sorry, before I we do, that. no, it's okay. But for me, it's that I've been, I've been looking after people my whole life. Like since I was about eight or nine, I've been looking after very, very physically and mentally ill people, adults. Um, and so I feel like I'd sort of, I, I feel like I do have a really maternal side, but mm. I've done it. I feel like I've I've mothered and I've raised people, even if they were older than me. And now they're okay. And now I feel like my kids have gone off to uni, basically. And it's like, I've done my bit. Everyone's still alive. They're happier than they were before. I fucking nailed it. And now I'm fucking knackered. So I feel like I'm in retirement from motherhood. Like I've been, I've been caring for my friends. I go above and beyond for the people in my life. I live with all these fucking men who I can't stop looking after, uh, you know, and I, um, and I, I love to because they're my friends and women and all kinds of different people. But I, I have a lot of love to give. I just feel like um, the obligatory part of like where you, where you can't mm. take the day off. I've done that already. I've mm. done that. Like there's no, there's nothing, there's been nothing selfish about my life up until now. And so I totally get motherhood. Like I'm watching all my mates have babies at the moment. And like some of them, are, I, I've watched them open up in ways that are just 
unbelievable. And some of them have taken to it like a duck to water and others are really fucking struggling. And I, what I was trying to get at earlier with you is that like, it's so important to be able to have the conversation of the fact that actually it is a massive fucking decision and it can be quite mm. derailing and exciting and less exciting ways. And it's not always something that comes naturally to everyone. And that's fucking okay. And that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't have had kids or you shouldn't have kids or you can't learn. But it just means that it's not going to be this fucking Disney movie for everyone. And we have to create space. It's almost like they're so afraid that if we find out it's going to be really challenging, we'll stop having babies, right? That's what I think the fear is, which is why we Mm. bombard people with the fairy tale idea of the perfect motherhood. Mm. And I think that that's incredibly damning to the people I know who are capable, wonderful. There's nothing I can think of that was incredibly fulfilling, that wasn't unbelievably hard to nail. And motherhood is absolutely one of those things because you are balancing so many things that are changing so fast all at the same time while you are changing at the same time. And so what I feel like your book does is also pay respect to that journey of mothers and and in liberating those who don't want to do it, you are also trying to liberate those who do from feeling this burden to be motherfucking nature. Right. Literally, exactly. Yes. So I'm really, it's been really fantastic actually that I've kind of among my early readers, so many people are mums and they're expressing huge gratitude for helping them feel less like they're fucking it up, less like they're failing, Mm -hmm. for giving them permission to sometimes not enjoy being a mother, Mm -hmm. to ask questions, was this the right thing for me, to wonder or really kind of feel into the conditioning that might have propelled their decisions around motherhood. You know, my one, one dear friend who had twins after sort of three or four rounds of IVF and it was very traumatic for her and she loves being a mum and has also been blindsided by how incredibly challenging it is. Mm -hmm. She texted me the other day. She was like, oh my God, did I want babies? Or did I think I wanted babies because of all Mm -hmm. the conditioning, you know, it's just like, it swings in in roundabouts, by the way, which I do with my own career. I'm like, Mm. do do I want to do this? I've sacrificed like a lot of my freedom and and I don't have a normal life and I don't get to have like normal friendships and I get whisked off for eight months, which I know sounds incredibly glamorous and I'm so fucking lucky and I'm so fucking grateful, but I also like don't get to see the person of my life Mm. for like months Mm -hmm. at a time, don't get to see my dogs, spend a time completely on my own in a country where I don't know anyone and I... Uh, I'm working like 16 hours a day with terrible health. And I, uh, I go through periods myself being like, why did I not just fucking work somewhere where I could sit down and then go home at But this is it. You sound like, like, you sound like a mum who had, exactly, you know, a really hard time having a child who then is feeling like she has to give the caveat before she expresses how hard it is. But, and of course, I'm so grateful. And of course, I'm so lucky that I was able to do yeah, this. Yeah, it's yeah. like, sometimes it's really okay for yeah. really fabulous things. things no, really I know. Hard. It's just that it's comparing motherhood really to being a famous <laughs> actress is like a whole other fucking thing. Like, but I'm just saying that, like, some days I love it so much and I can't believe it and I have the best fucking time and I'm so fulfilled and I'm so ready for it and I just like we just we as human beings are allowed in every other area of our life to oscillate between people have it in marriage Mm. they have it in friendships of like regret Mm. and ugh get away from me or I love you so much I could fucking breathe you in like it is completely normal and yet in motherhood like there is not that um there, there is not that space for people to have reasonable moments of doubt 
Right, exactly. Yeah. So what you described before is that we have this incredibly sort of saccharine, sort of sentimental idea mm. of this Disney movie of what motherhood is going to be. And I've been reflecting a lot on how sentimentalizing things like that is almost like a protection mechanism. You know, like you, you like you pointed out, I mean, motherhood is sentimentalized by the forces, the powers that be in order mm. to corral women into motherhood. And for the same reason, you know, non-motherhood is is made deviant and made the other and made suspect for that same reason to help corral people into becoming mothers and therefore fulfilling their kind of like patriot their role within the patriarchy um but i was also thinking that up until relatively recently like women needed motherhood to be sentimentalized in a way because there was no other option or at least options were very much closed off to the majority of women you know there was there just there wasn't um there weren't uh, the doors weren't open to other life paths until relatively recently this show is sponsored by better help now listen we all carry around different stresses big small medium size and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to but doing that all of the time can really really start to negatively impact your life and i say that from experience i'm british we are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever and uh, that's why so many of us are so sad now a way that i was able to remedy that was by having therapy which was super helpful for me not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're gonna get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Talk to me about sexual evolution, because that ties Ooh. into a lot of this. Yes, indeed. So that chapter was the hardest to write. <laughs> There's a chapter called Sexual Evolution, where I start with the hypothesis that 
women without kids, <laughs> particularly heterosexual women without kids, are the sort of walking embodiment of the fact that sex and female sexuality has other functions besides procreation. Mm-hmm. And I've actually kind of evolved my thinking. My thinking about this is still evolving because it was like such a complex subject to dive into in like a 7,000 word chapter in a book. Um, but I was even thinking about the fact that, you know, women can get pregnant for literally about 48 hours a month during the time that we're actually, you know, menstru- during our menstrual years compared to men who can get somebody pregnant like 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. like pretty much for their whole kind of adult life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so this would suggest that actually female sexuality, especially if you then add in the fact that a majority of women actually don't orgasm from penetration, like mm-hmm. sex is, you know, more satisfying, more pleasurable. If the argument, you know, the very f- sort of fundamentalist religious argument is that sex feels good in order to get us to procreate. <laughs> um, the fact that women can have clitoral orgasms, that a, a lot of women don't orgasm from, from penetration sort of like shows that female sexuality especially is not just for procreation like it has other purposes you know Mm. and that I think is a conversation that's it's sort of ripe to be expanded and it definitely is something that has been spoken about over the past sort of 40 50 years with the sex positivity movement etc etc as part of the kind of sexual revolution samanthaism samanthaism yeah (laughs) exactly yeah exactly so samantha is kind of like a walking embodiment of this attitude, I suppose. Um, But yeah, I just think it's really, that conversation is sort of bubbling up again and ready to be spoken about again. And and so do you think that there is a tie-in with those who abuse religion in order to uh, legislate against a woman's right to just freely be allowed to have sex um, without having to sign up for eternal motherhood? Right. Well, I mean, and do you think that there is a do you, do you think that there is a a threat from the idea that there is a growing understanding that sex uh, for women can just be about pleasure and freedom and multiple different partners and and not feeling a need to be tied down to one individual? I think if you look at the let's say the um, ideologies that benefit from women's sexuality being ring fenced as for motherhood. We are talking about, yeah, fundamentalist organized sort of religions where essentially we want to ensure that more people are being born who are being born into these very kind of specific family, familial structures that have been, you know, put in place in order to ensure the continuation of our belief systems, mm-hmm. um, of our ideologies, et cetera, et cetera. So there's organized religion and then there's sort of patriarchy as a kind of tangential offshoot type thing from that, right? Um, And then capitalism as well, honestly, because the more more people who are born, the more cheap labor we have. Like the more people there are available for employment, the lower wages can be offered. People have less bargaining power. The more of us there are, like the cheaper Mm. life is, the cheaper labor is basically. And so, yeah, it pays for, it pays for corporations and corporate interests 
for there to be more and more people being born onto the planet, which is why you have someone like Elon Musk, who's a very kind of pro-natalist, very scaremongering messaging around, you know, um, the falling birth rates. While at the same time, he amasses like hundreds and hundreds of billions of personal wealth. You know, women are selfish not to be yeah, and he children. Hasn't, but <laughs> he hasn't been known for, um, like, I can't imagine he's a, like a super hands-on father. Like, I don't feel like he's wearing the fake right. tits that's got the milk in them and breastfeeding <laughs> the child. Like, but also he's, he, no. he, he was at least for a very long time i'm not quite sure on the update but quite anti-union and anti right. like you know anti the um ability anti of, the workers of, of workers, workers to you know strike for their rights etc and so you know right. the two, i do see what you what you mean by going hand in hand i mean that's getting back to the abortion thing there are a lot of theories about the fact that the reason that these things are happening first and foremost in places that have the most people of color in the United States specifically, mm. is that they want those people to be destabilized so that we will have more people having to take desperate measures in order to survive. And mm. then those people are more likely to end up within the justice system. And then boom, once you're in the justice system, you are able to work for something like 13 cents an hour. And so our trainers and t-shirts are being made by people who are effectively in slave labor. Um, because they were born into circumstances that that they did not choose. Right, exactly. Yes, I mean, that's I hadn't actually heard that theory, but yes, that sort of ties into what I'm saying, this idea of like more people equals cheap labour. When people talk about, you know, the dangers to the economy of an ageing population, the economy as it stands currently is what they're talking about. The dangers to corporate profit-making machines basically um you know we need there are ways that the, the economy could be remade to support an aging population and to redistribute wealth in fairer ways that help mothers that help children that help old, old people you know um mm. but at the moment do you familiar with jaron lanier no not he's like a futurist i think he was quite involved in kind of like making the internet and he's since come out as being quite anti-internet <laughs> He's one of those people. It's who always the way, like, isn't it? It's so everyone who started exactly. Facebook now comes out saying that they don't let their children use I Facebook. Was, I think. I think he was very early in one in one of the big one of the big tech kind of giants. Anyway, there's a quote from him in the book, and he's like, "The economy only works now if you were young, healthy, and childless," which is pretty. I mean, it boils it really down. But um, yeah, and I, I'm not an economist, so I don't have like. I don't take anything I'm I'm saying as kind of like the final word on all of this to your own research. But um, yeah, when we look at just the bare bones of the fact that a lot of people who are choo choosing, and I'm putting in air quotes, choosing not to have children are making that choice based on how difficult it is to square their desire to live a comfortable life financially and have children. That is becoming increasingly difficult for a larger sort of margin of the population, let alone people who are already existing in poverty or below poverty conditions being being forced to reproduce. Yeah, and being denied access to uh, the healthcare that it would take to make that exactly. manageable or even safe. Um, even safe, exactly. Talk to me about regrets. That's something you cover mm. beautifully in your book. Mm. And, mm. and the fact that, you know, as you pointed out at the beginning of this chat, like you have reached this, this point in your life where you can look back and the door to biological ability to have 
children of your own is like closing and you look back and you have no regrets. Um, mm. my, my door has not yet closed, but I already have no regrets and I'm, mm-hmm. I've, I'm, I'm getting past the age at which I should have frozen my eggs and I've deliberately chosen not to because I just don't want to put myself through that given that I know how much I feel about it. And also if I change my mind, I can always adopt later. No, I, um, I would like to talk to you a bit, like a bit more in, in depth about the no regrets because a friend of mine once said that if she gets to the end of her life and she looks back and she goes, fuck, I should have had children. She was like, then only she has to live with the consequences of that choice. She's like, whereas if she has children, even though she doesn't want them, then the potential of her looking back with regret means that she didn't just negatively impact her own life, but also potentially the lives of a progeny, you know, of those who come after her and then the people who come after them. And, and, you know, you and I are familiar with how childhood damage can really like impact a lineage. And I thought that was such an amazing way of putting it because also it's just not realistic to say nobody will ever have a regret about anything. It's just more to say that it, it breaks down for me that a way to weigh up that regret. And I yeah. personally choose the one in which only I suffer rather than anyone else. I love that. That is such a brilliant quote perspective. I'll be taking that on board and probably sharing that elsewhere. Jamila's friend once said. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so this regret thing. um, When I shared at the beginning, I had no regrets. I want to acknowledge that's very specific to me. And for me, that was validation that yes, my intuition around this being right for me was correct. Mm-hmm. You know, it was validation. So there's a book that I reference throughout Women Without Kids, and it's called Regretting Motherhood. And it reports the study, um, the findings from a study conducted by an Israeli sociologist called Orna Donut, where she interviewed, I think like 25 women, some of them had become grandmothers by this point, who openly regretted, like regretted motherhood. They regretted having had children. Mm-hmm. And it's just fascinating reading. Finding this book was just like the missing piece. <laughs> because actually, of course, you you sort of touched on, I think it's, I think it's impossible to make any decision without not even some degree of regret, but like there's no way to go through life without having any regrets. And given the nature of this decision, which is like literally one of the only decisions that you can't reverse, Mm -hmm. the thought that nobody ever regrets making that decision is just completely unrealistic. Um, And reading it is also incredibly edgy because this is one of the biggest taboos, I think. Um, I, I did some more research around it and statistics show that between 7 and 14% of parents say that they regret having children, which is actually quite a high number and possibly even underreported um, given what a taboo subject yeah, this is. Yeah, there's a stigma around it. Such a stigma. But but then that regret can be fleeting. I think it's possible to feel regret for a day and then the next day feel like mad love and like just how could I live not having done this, you know? But also, but also that regret can also be a product of the fact that we don't talk clearly enough about how to make that decision, right? right. So we, we tell yes. people like, oh, the baby will bring the couple that isn't working currently when they don't have the stress of a child together and make them closer, the kind of concept of the Band-Aid baby. Mm. What, what work like this does in stipulating how hard motherhood is, is not from what I take from it to discourage people from motherhood. It is no. to say... Make that fucking decision if you're going to so fucking carefully. 
Like, do not think that it's going to be seamless and it's going to bring you necessarily always closer to your partner. If you have issues beforehand, get them fucking sorted out before you bring that other person into the world. Like with any of my friends who get pregnant, one of the first things I do, especially if there are any kind of like issues in the relationship that I'm privy to, I'm like, you have to go to therapy and couples therapy now, because once that baby arrives, it's going to be, you're not going to have that space to fall apart that you need to. And so, you know, I think that, I think it's a really important reminder It's an imperative reminder that like set yourself up. Your life doesn't have to be perfect. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. make fucking do and have amazing experiences of parenthood with not very much. But emotionally, I think Mm. that's a huge, obviously financially that's important, Mm. but emotionally that is non-negotiable. That given that you and I were raised in um, situations where not everyone who raised us was emotionally ready to be able to raise a child. I urge anyone considering it to not feel like it's an impossible task, but that it is vital for your happiness and for the best results possible for your offspring and for your family to ready yourself and not and not do it with the wrong person if you can possibly avoid it or not do it mm-hmm. because you think it'll, that'll fix what's going mm. on. Fix what's going on first. Um, you Doing it alone is difficult, but it's also incredibly possible. And a lot of my friends are doing that and they're just making sure they have the right support system with friends or family around them, or they have a job that is understanding around those things. It's just, it's just urging people to take it so much more fucking seriously than anyone necessarily yes. reminds us to. And we don't, and we don't sell these same things to men. We just tell the amount of men who try to convince me to have a child because they think that my boyfriend is like a a very impressive musician and they just feel like, you know, his legacy needs to be carried on. And that's my responsibility. And I'm like, I don't, (laughs) I, that's really none of my business. Right. And I I don't, I don't give a shit about their business. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. can, you know, and I said to him, I was like, if you ever feel the need to have a baby, you can have a baby with someone else and either be with that person or not be with that person. And then I'll be, you know, here and I'll be fun on the weekends. But I was like, I, I don't ever want to stop you from having a baby, but I won't be the person doing that. And these men, it was one of the most famous producers in the world. He said it to me and I won't name him. Um, because it was so weird what he did, but he was just like, no, it's fine. You know, like I've got six children and, and I'm still able to have my career. You'll still be able to have your career. You'll still have your freedom. It's like, mate, I see you in the recording studios all day, every day. There are no children in that recording studio. Your wife is doing the majority of that care. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. this is another like ridiculous fallacy that like, it'll be fine. It'll be easy. Like men of all people should not be saying that to us. Life does change and it changes in brilliant ways, but also changes in ways that do, of course, take things away from you. And I couldn't fucking believe that this man was standing there uh, trying to pressure me at a fucking party to have, in his head, my boyfriend's baby, not even my baby. Right. Not like even for obs- you or for your fulfillment. with yeah. legacy is so weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I personally don't care about legacy, right? I don't plan on being remembered, um, which is why I'm so weird on the internet. <laughs> um, because I, I don't really care if anyone, like, I don't need a statue built of me later or if anyone to, <laughs> to think of me once I'm gone. Because I won't know because I'll be gone. Um, so, so that's not a factor that I have. I don't want to see a small version of me. Um, I don't have any of those particular urges. Uh, but I do, I just remember finding that so 
so prevalent, like from men. I got mm. so, so many men like trying to pressure me into doing it and telling me that I'm being selfish. This man at one point, it was like 1am, tried to make me pinky promise that I would never have an abortion. that I would never oh abort a baby God. if I ever got pregnant with James's child. And I was like, no. And then James just wanted to get away from him and he leaned in and just whispered in my ear, it's not legally binding. you can just pinky promise so we can go home he was like I'm not going to hold you to it I don't give a shit I don't want children either yeah but you know that you did it just out of fucking principle out of principle I just fucking stood there for half an hour until this man just got drunker and drunker and finally left oh my god um, but yeah I just can't believe how many of those types of conversations I've had like no regard as to like what I want what I'm ready for like I'm incredibly sick I'm incredibly sick. That's a massive part of why I don't want children. Not to say that sick people shouldn't have children, but like, I'm not very well. I can just about fucking keep myself together. I don't want to, I, I can't, I literally can't give someone enough because I'm sick. I'm like, that's okay to say. And that doesn't okay. mean that's the only reason someone else shouldn't have, like someone shouldn't want a baby or whatever. It's like, if you're well enough, therefore, then you should be a mother. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But there's just a multitude of reasons someone doesn't want to do it. Like, leave us alone. Don't make us have to explain ourselves. It's ridiculous. At a party, it is wild how casual the conversation continues to be. Which just shines the light on how normalised motherhood is and how normalised it is for people, for other people, in particular men, to assume ownership, entitlement to women's bodies as the technologies of reproduction. Mm. You know, it's just so normalized. So as much as I'm I'm sorry that you experienced that, which I see actually as a form of harassment, <laughs> um, not to even laugh about that, is harassment, but that level of entitlement to even have an opinion about it is just so indicative of like how ingrained it is in our society that that's what women's bodies are for, you know, what female bodies are for. Um, there's a few things I really want to reflect on. I don't want to forget this I, you were asking about regret. And one thing that Orna Donut said to me when I spoke to her about it, she described that thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you will, re- you will regret it. You sure you won't regret it? She described it as a politicized use of emotion, which I think it was really um, interesting way of phrasing it. Because I just mean? think there's politicized use of emotion. It means it's incredibly manipulative and it's incredibly coercive. And whether it's intentional or not, and when I say intentional, I mean conscious or not, that statement or that sentiment, you will regret it, is designed to coerce you into yeah, designed to back evoke into fear. this kind of role. Exactly. It's a, designed to invoke fear and sort of therefore get you to do the thing that that person wants you to do. Yeah. And fear is now at the heart of politics. Like Absolutely. fear is the, is the is the leading tool of politics. It used to be inspiration. It used to like in America, it was the American dream. It was people being together. Yeah. It was the land of the free and the brave. Yes. Like now it is very much so like the immigrants are coming in. Everyone's becoming trans. Or, like everyone's regretting their abortions. And it's just like, it's bonkers. Fear comes in when the masses start to rebel when rebellion and uprising starts to kind of reach a tipping point where to where the people who are supposed to be disempowered actually start to get some power is when fear kicks in and the fear messaging kicks in. And I think that's exactly what we've seen with the Roe v. Wade and with so much of, you know, what you just described. Um, but yeah, this that idea of kind of regret being a politicized emotion, I think is really interesting. But you also, you I love the way this is so progressive and I fucking love it. And these are the quite exactly the kind of conversations that I want this this book to spark. You're like, you know what, if James does decide to have a baby, 
he could have a baby with someone else and maybe I'd be part of their life and maybe he'd been in a relationship with her, but maybe not. Maybe I'd be like the weekend girlfriend. I mean, fucking brilliant. That's just another way to think about forming family, right? And just thinking about, well, if we do want to have children, then how do we make it work? And just being really open-minded about like what that configuration and what that family situation could kind of look like. I think it's brilliant that you just gave us a little vision there for what, how that could be. Yeah, but like, I just, it just doesn't bother me. Like I, um, I, I live with all my mates and my boyfriend at the same time and I'm almost 40 like I already live in like a you know a commune style home and I remember at one point when James wasn't sure if he wanted kids or not uh, he's now decided he doesn't after how stressful it was to have a dog um lol (laughs) (laughs) but um Uh, but, good, um, good. Aiding yeah, the decision no, making process. Yeah, yeah, and I had nothing to do with it. Um, but um, <laughs> but at one point, a friend of mine was looking to have a baby on her own, and she's she's still on that journey. And she was looking for sperm. And James kind of wanted to be a dad, wasn't ready for the full responsibility of that. And I definitely didn't want children. I was like, you should have a baby with her. I was like, she's fantastic. I was like, she did so many drugs and she was younger and she still looks 12 and she's in perfect health and she didn't get COVID one time in three years. I was like, she's a fucking Viking. She's obviously got some good genes. Yeah, she's got insane genes. Like she's brilliant. She's got an amazing personality. Your kid would have an amazing personality. It'd be the combination of the two of you. Like he's got like, you know, he's, they're, they're just both like, such wonderful people and I was like they would have an amazing kid together if they wanted to and we had this like little bit of extra land that we could like build like a little like mini house onto and I was like she could just live there and then like we'd all live together and then my mate would be and I'm not naive to think that that couldn't create any kind of like weird political dynamic but I really don't feel like it would because I want nothing Mm. I would never be jealous of that situation I don't want anything to do with it but I don't want to deny anyone that and I want everyone to have something I was like I love the idea of her like raising a kid with all of us and we can all help and then she's a bit more supported than she would be on her own like on the other side of the world from me like it just felt like we have to like break out of these narratives of like one way to do it like it takes a fucking village it takes Especially a fucking village in this climate yes yeah exactly. and so like build the motherfucking village if you have to yes. and that village is allowed to be weird and so it's something <laughs> that i've i maintain open about if he changes his mind when he gets older because he's a bit younger than me but like i just don't i don't have any rule book here other than myself you talk about that it's like your decision impacts no one other than mm. you my mm-hmm. decision doesn't have to negatively impact anyone else. It's exactly. my personal decision. I'm not getting in anyone's way. And I'm down to clown. I'm down to like do this the weirdest possible <laughs> fucking way. I'm down to be a weird auntie. Uh, you know, it's I think the just... world needs more weird aunties. Basically, I feel like weird aunties have been kind of like missing. We've been sort of erased in a way. I feel like there were probably historically always weird aunties and weird aunties were like a necessary part of the support system for mothers, you know? Yeah, These we didn't used to have IVF. Or... We didn't used to have like, um, not everyone was able to have a fucking baby, you know, before right. people Exactly. On. There have throughout history been mm-hmm. women without kids, right? And they've always yeah. kind of had their roles. And then I suppose as this sort of really strict patriarchal order took hold, those women without kids were more and more in- in ostracized and sort of painted as weirder and weirder and weirder. And to ensure that as many women as possible were kind of like fulfilling that 
that duty. Because no one wants to be othered and and this and right. like your the idea is painted that you're alone, but actually like more and more that's yeah. not the case. And and I I find myself like not now more on call than I've ever been before because all my friends are having kids. And that's why I don't like the divide of like fuck you yeah. mothers uh yeah. that's happening. Yeah. I can understand how it's happened because you, you you ostracize and demonize people for decades. They become defensive. But I'm right. not about I don't want to be the ringleader of that fucking group. Like, that's not no. what I'm here for. Like, I don't want there to be a battle between us because we're on the same side and we're no. here to help each other. Exactly. This is why I talk about a concept that I termed the motherhood spectrum, which mm-hmm. is basically like, instead of this kind of like, you've got natural, valid, legitimate mothers and unnatural, weird, like freakish non-mothers, actually every individual's aptitude and desire for parenthood exists on a spectrum mm-hmm. you know a spectrum that is influenced by so many different factors mm-hmm. factors that could change where a person orients on that spectrum at mm-hmm. different points in their life you know and so this idea that i don't know some people are destined to be mothers and some people are destined to be these kind of non-mother outcasts is just it's just ri- ridiculous it doesn't reflect our humanity at all summer the best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, something, so I, because I'm not very good at connecting with babies, what I have mm. chosen to do with all my mates is like, I'm not going to be their godmother, but I will be yours. So I've become like a yes. fairy godmother to my mates who are having babies. And, and I'm like, it. I'm here to come in and bring shit for you. And on your baby's birthday, I'm going to buy you a mass, like a fucking massage and a dildo and like all the brilliant things that you, <laughs> you're going to need. Like, I still want to mother. I just want to mother adults. Because then we can <laughs> right. chat, you know, like, and I, I think can't break them. Need mothering yeah, as yeah. well. I mean, exactly. I mean, like, we turn 18 and we're like, we all need like, to be a baby. Yeah. I was having a conversation with someone. I, I help people write their books in my day job. One of, one of my clients, we were talking about this one part of her book and we just kind of landed on this thing that like, yeah, actually part of us is always still a baby. Like part of us always needs a nap. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we still have these kind of like, we just need, we all need to be mothered still. And I think that, I think that's something that I'm seeing among um, people, younger generations who are more open about or more um, well-versed around mental health, which you do such a brilliant job of kind of like mm-hmm. bringing into the consciousness and um, have done a really good job of sort of bringing into the mainstream in a way. But I think this idea of reparenting and like parenting ourselves has become very popular. And I think a lot of people are realizing that, yeah, maybe they didn't get like all of the parenting that they needed from mm-hmm. their primary, their designated primary caregivers. 
and that perhaps some mothering of the South um, is necessary before they even think about becoming a mother themselves. Yeah. And a bit of mothering, not mothering, but you know what I mean? Like a bit of providing that maternal energy to yes. each other. Like if I have my yes. own family, I'm not going to have the time or the fucking energy to go and help any of my mates out. It serves all of us if some yes. of us are available as, you know, stand-ins, you know, and backup. Yes. I'm there with my kind of like, I have like a bat signal that my mates have and, and they can... Pff, shine it in the sky and I'm available because I freed myself up. Is it like to be a pizza there. box? So it's like, yeah, exactly. It's a pizza box and a dildo. It's just like a flying <laughs> cock in the sky. Uh, and I, you know, I turn up with like gifts and tissues and a shoulder to cry on. And like, I wear a very soft jumper. So I'm really good to hug. Really comfortable. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like weed, like whatever you, whatever you need, like I'm there to provide it. Uh, and, and I think it's so good if we work in tandem with each other to yeah. like be like, I, I do have a bit of love to give it. Just like, I can just, I'll, I'll yeah. be there to support you when, when you do the thing that's a bit too hard for me to do. And this is what, this has reminded me of such a validating conversation that I had when I was researching this book, because I am really shit with babies. Like put me in the same room as a baby and I literally freeze up. I yeah, just yeah. turn into a completely incompetent kind of like mm-hmm. jelly. I'm like, what do I do does not compute. Like I've got no idea how to interact with babies. Um, and, you know, a psychologist will probably have lots to say about that. But also it's kind of just how I am. But I've always felt when people have, when I've heard people talk about, oh, well, that's like, you know, you're not a mum, but you can like help mums in their mothering. I've always kind of been a bit like, no shit, I probably can't actually because I've ne- like literally never changed a nappy in my life. I'm going to be 47. I've never changed a nappy. I probably never will. Sorry, diaper to all the Americans who are listening. But I'm just not that person. I'm not going to be your babysitter. Like, I'm just not. You wouldn't want me babysitting your kid because I would literally be a gibbering mess in the corner not knowing what to no, do. No, but I'll pay for your babysitter and but I'll take you out for the night of your this life. Conversation, this conversation <laughs> I had with someone, I didn't even bring this up with her. She just started talking about how she's like, I, I, I really value my non-mum friends because... Honestly, it would be completely impractical of me to ask them to help me with the day-to-day like childcare stuff. It's so specific and so intuitive and so like, you know, day minute by minute, like I can't delegate that. But what I do need is people to hang out with where I can forget that I'm a mum, that I can go on a hike, I can talk about politics, I can talk about work, I can talk about everything except being a mum. She's like, please be that friend for me. And I was like, fuck yes, finally, I have my role. Yes, I can so be that friend. And it made me reflect on how, without even letting me know that was what was happening, or maybe not even being conscious of it on their part, I've got friends who've got kids that I've never met, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is just so indicative of the fact that these people obviously valued having me in that role in their life, someone they could escape from motherhood with, you know? Um, mm. So I'm really happy to be that that escape hatch from motherhood for my mum friends. And so what would you say as we, you know, bring this to a close, just like some of the, some of your favourite takeaways from your book, like, like the takeaways that you feel like have been most responded to? This- a couple, the one that I really came away from the book personally with was um, just how much, how important my female friendships are to me and how important it is to invest in my female friendships, especially, um, and not take them for granted. I think this came out of really thinking how does about, that, yeah, how does that well, relate? the question, one of the, one of the things that you might have heard this, I've certainly heard this, um, the who will look after you when you're old 
which yeah. we kind of touched on with what your friend said about yeah. regrets and things. Who will look after you when you're old was the one sort of real looming specter of just like, yeah, actually shit. Like I'm not going to have any connections with younger generation. Like how am I going to, how is this going to work? You know, um, had been the one thing that if anything was going to sort of push me to override my intuition on this, it mm-hmm. would have been that. But you actually, I've got like, I've got an Instagram post, which is probably I'll never post because it's a little bit too in the camp of what we were talking about before to reflect my true feelings on this. Mm-hmm. I'll share it here. Um, it's, it's something along the lines of, you know, having a kid to look after you when you're old, what you're talking about is a nurse, <laughs> that kind of vibe. Do you know what I mean? It's, and it's kind of like, it's, un- it's unfair to have children with the express kind of idea that, well, you're my, you're my safety net for when I'm old. There's just, you're setting yourself up for a, no guarantees that your child is even going to survive you into old age, like let alone be in a position to be able to support you in any kind of way when you need them. Um, but anyway, I just, I really came out of it feeling like my friends, you know, and I realized that part of my, um, not my friends are going to support me necessarily, but my friends are going to be my connections. I've got really strong, wonderful friendships, but I probably do take a bit for granted sometimes. Right. And if I, if I'm thinking about little old lady me, I want to know that I've got those, that same level of connection with my friends. And so I came out of this book, given that I was also writing it during the pandemic, during kind of like years of social distancing and isolation, but just with a strong realization that my found family connections are as valid as my biological family connections. And that actually, because they're not biological, because there isn't that element of duty, I do have to actively invest in them. And so that's something that I'm working on and have come away from the book with personally. Yeah, I I have a setup um already kind of planned out and who knows if it'll actually, ah. you know, come to light, but um me and my mates, uh more than even just the people who live with me, uh a lot of us have been talking like in a very serious way about what we're going to do when we get old mm-hmm. and and how we want to live together. And mm-hmm. so we're planning on just like buying some land somewhere and just um like apparently Ed Sheeran bought like a village with his mates and he I mean it's colloquially called Sharonville. I don't think he's a psychopath he's actually called it that um but just like these little where we could all build like little one-story bungalows uh so that no we don't have to come down any stairs yeah. um that are really like manageable to live in like right next door to each other all live in a massive house together uh all on one story no stairs or like amazing stenner lift um but elevators we, uh, yeah elevators terrifying terrifying but <laughs> okay. um but uh we want to grow old together and i was like mm. that's a lovely way that's a love like that makes me feel warm and fuzzy the idea of like just shitting myself with my friends as we get old together yeah. literally shitting our pants together literally uh, but you yeah. know like, changing each other's diapers <laughs> Just the funniest, best people I know, all of us like not having to do, because like spousal living is also really tricky because what happens if something happens, you know, oh, we saw yeah. that during the pandemic. I'm fully like, prepared for my husband to die before I do. Yeah. Why? What are you planning? Oh, well, <laughs> fully, fully prepared. It's all yeah. mapped out. All right, Jeffrey Dahmer. No, um, he's but he's no. three years older than me and he's a man. So statistically he will die before I do. And he's right, like, right, right. you know, he, I've been living with him for like more than half my life. It'll be like, I mean, I don't, yeah. I, I try well, not to think about it, but of course it's the thing that keeps me awake at night. A hundred percent. But I like m- me and my mates, I'm just like, there's strength in numbers. 
Like yes. we're going to live longer and we're going to live happier if we all live together. So I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm really working on my friendships at the moment and focusing on those friendships as I approach 40, because I really want to keep those going strong because they are like, we will have a fucking riot if we grow really fucking and old together. We can figure shit out. Like we can figure hard stuff out together so much easier yeah. than we as individuals can figure hard stuff out. There's going to be shit. There's, it's, some parts of getting older are going to be really hard. And if we have like really reliable, trusted friendships who yeah. we can call on, we'll get through it. We'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. And they'll have family members come out. Apparently, there are like studies on this because it's happening around the world. And apparently yeah. it like extends your lifespan and makes the chance of illness much less likely to live in like a communal space. Not like a hospice, not not necessarily like a hospice, obviously that like care homes can be great, but mm. like a home where you are independent. Maybe there is a nurse who works there to just assist everyone in case anything goes wrong. But then when one of you has got like a family come to visit, then everyone gets that family visit rather than off in isolated ward rooms. Do you know what yes. I mean? It's like, yes. oh, there's an event, there's a big dinner happening like the kids or grandchildren it's like they come and then they go and then you're still together at the end anyway we veered off into like my life <laughs> plan um but i but just no, want I people think, to know like, that like unusual this is, but like this is like you know if you look at the news oh what are we going to do about this aging population don't worry like the aging po- we'll figure it out we'll figure it out just let us let us do our thing you know um but yeah I, I think conversations like this are actually really important because it is a fear, you know, and it's one of the biggest fears when you don't have children, I think, or can be. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm really glad to have met you. This book is excellent and people should go out and read it and follow your work. And And I, I really resonate with you and uh, I'm really glad to see someone say it in a way that makes me feel like I'm not attacking my mates who are having kids because like, I think there was something toothy about me, even on this podcast, when I first used to talk about it, it would be like, Ugh. Mm. Uh, but I think I've changed. And as my friends are having children, it hasn't made me want children, but it's definitely like shifted my empathy and how I fucking talk about it and, yeah. and how amazing and how challenging it is. And I just want to be there for them, for them, not yeah. for their kids. Yeah. <laughs> We've been very clear. Well, you asked me what's come out of it. And like I said, you know, a lot of the early readers have been mums and one of the most beautiful things to have come out of writing this book it's a realization that this is a book that's equally for mothers and that it can do that well I I was unsure if it was possible in a way to bridge this divide because our lived experiences can be so different you know and Mm -hmm. there can be such envy on both sides you know mothers might envy non-mothers free time non-mothers might envy the closeness that mothers have with their children. And I do mm-hmm. feel that sometimes. Like it's my nephew's birthday today and my brother's very non and not kind of anti-social media. But he did this big content drop of like how adorable and cool my nephew is. And I had a bit of a like, and I'll never I'll never have that. I'll never have that with another human being, with a little human being that I made. Like I won't. And I felt some sadness around that. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to just kind of having been through the work of writing this book, to be able to actually acknowledge that that sadness is there and that that's okay. It doesn't mean I made the wrong decision. It doesn't mean that that was the right life for me, but sometimes we will feel, well, it's okay not to get everything that you could possibly have or want, you know? Yeah, it doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing for you every single day of your life for the rest of your life. Yeah, you're brilliant. And I think you and I are just both about allowing people to give themselves the permission to live their lives as unusually as they please. Uh, just fundamentally um before you go will you tell me what do you weigh oh i mean after writing this book i feel a bit like i weigh the weight of the world honestly (laughs) like 
I do think one of the one of the reasons I'm not a parent is that I kind of care too much. I give a few too many fucks, actually. Um, mm. I can't help but sort of like take on, not take on in a kind of activist way, but just like deeply absorb the weight of yeah. the world. And it, this writing this book was really heavy at times just to really acknowledge like how hard it is to be a parent and the conditions that make it so hard to be a parent. For far so, too many people. For far too many people. And um, yeah, so I have, it's, I, I've been feeling pretty heavy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to it being out in the world and for it to just kind of go off and do its thing and oof, to have a fabulous child-free vacation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, you've been a joy thank you so much for coming and uh, and I hope you get lots of lovely feedback I think you're doing really important work thanks it's been great talking to you likewise thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself Jamila Jamil Aaron Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory it is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend James Blake if you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWeigh. Lastly, over at iWeigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at one 818 660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com and now we would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners I weigh my resilience and learning to read despite my dyslexia even though I still have a bad stutter when I read out loud I weigh being a suicide survivor and still being young enough that maybe I can have my whole adult life ahead of me in a better place I weigh being on that journey to recovery I weigh being bisexual. I weigh my love of my country, England. I weigh my love of reading and writing poetry. I weigh my love of learning about religion and culture all over the seven continents. And I weigh my love of cats and animals. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.